Hello friends and welcome back to the Roll Playing Games Room. This is a podcast in which uh, me, Paco Garcia, and a couple of actors, rather nice people, although they're not used to me saying nice things about them, especially him, uh, but I am going to say nice things about them today just because I can and I get together with them just to talk about all sorts of really funky role-playing game stuff. Of course, I am talking about my wonderfully beloved... Uh, co-hosts. I'm Vicky Beaver from Albatron Productions. And I'm not talking to you after that, Paco. Oh, <laughs> have I softened your feeling? A little bit. <laughs> you can't see it, but I've turned my head away. So so before we start the recording, I gave you a boner and now I soften your feeling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, out of context boners. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's so out of context. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You said so. It is. It's true. I I did, yes. (laughs) Anyway. uh, (laughs) Way to start. We're getting better at this. We're about to give advice on how to be professional. Yes. And that's what we opened with. Absolutely. Actually, we're talking about mistakes to avoid when freelancing. So perhaps mentioning boners would be one of those things to avoid. Do not mention your boners. If they needed that advice, they have more problems than this show can solve. (laughs) That may well be. Well, well, uh, wonderful listeners, today, yes, we're going to be talking about freelancing in the world of role-playing games, and we're going to be talking about things to do and things not to do. So if you are thinking about becoming a freelance, you better prick your ears, uh, because what we are going to be talking about, and I reckon that the three of us have a fair amount of experience either dealing with, talking to, or hiring freelancers both inside and outside the role-playing game world. So some of the things that we're going to say probably will be interesting for you because you want to be a freelancer, not us. I mean, as in not me, you. So, uh, Vicky, since you are the human being that came up with uh, this wonderful and fantastic concept, why why don't you start? Okay, so one of the first things that uh, folks sometimes don't realize when they contact a company is that it's helpful to have some idea as to who it is that you're addressing. Uh, A lot of companies will have a website, and while that might seem like a no-brainer, it really isn't. Some folks don't realize that they should actually go take a look to see if they can find a website for the company they want to freelance with, and find out a little bit about the company itself, as well as whoever it is that might be receiving their email message or their website form message, uh, or they might even be walking up to at a convention or even at a game store. in doing that, a lot of times folks can't find that information just because it's not there or it's not obvious, uh, or they don't realize, looking at a name, whether that person's name is male or female. So one thing I like to let people know is that when you contact someone, it's okay if you don't necessarily know their name. You know, dear sir or madam is still something that we do see, but please don't assume that the person is a sir. I. Uh, do know enough about who it is that you're asking for work to have at least some idea of who you're addressing. I cannot express enough how frustrating it is as a woman who is the lead person in the company receiving messages that say, dear sir. So short, I am not a sir. (laughs) 
please don't assume that the person that's receiving your message is male or female. Please do something to try to find out. And if you can't tell, dear sir or madam, to whom it may concern, something neutral like that is going to be a lot less annoying to the person who receives that message than telling them, I think you're whatever gender you're not. Very good starting point. Jimbo, do you have anything to say? Well, yeah, no, I agree uh, 100% with what Vicky said, but I, I think that... Um, I think that there's a there's a tendency to just sort of spam every single game related website or geek field related website depending on what you're into um and just say hey i do this kind of thing and i'm interested in i get um maybe once a week now but i used to get 10 a day when i worked for a big company but about once a week i'll get something from somebody that's a 2d and 3d modeler who's looking for work And that indicates to me, one, they don't know what I do. Two, they're not aware of how small I am. Um, and uh, most importantly, they're, they're, just sort of, they're just sort of throwing this information out to everybody that they can find. And that doesn't say that I, I'm interested in your company. That says desperation. And you don't want to seem desperate. You want to seem like an asset that somebody can utilize, not somebody that's just going to go anywhere that the money is. Absolutely. Yeah. And that actually dovetails into another aspect of what I want to talk about today, and that is the idea of RTFM Part One. For those who don't know what it stands for, I'll do, do the PG version, which is read the frickin' manual. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, most publishers have some sort of presence online, whether it's a Facebook page, a website, a blog, most have something so that you can find out a little bit about them. So. Just as Jim was saying, you know, if he's got a modeler trying to get some work with him, it tells him right off the bat they don't know anything really about his company. When you do send a message to a publisher asking for work, you do need to be familiar with the product, the setting, the system. Even if you are looking for illustration work or layout work and you're not looking to write or do mechanics, uh, being able to be familiar with those product settings, systems, what have you, will uh, first off let you know if that's even something you're interested in. Uh, if you absolutely hate dealing with any kind of uh, setting or system that ha involves magic, well, then you probably don't want to contact a publisher that primarily prints things that are fantasy related since you know magic plays heavily into most fantasy games. So if you contact them and you suddenly start getting work that, you know, where you get an, an option for work and you're disappointed because it's all, you know, magic related, well, you could have prevented that by going ahead and just looking at the product, preferably, Pick one up physically. You know, I'm, everybody's got a budget, so not everybody can just buy every role-playing game out there that they think they might want to possibly do some work for. But peruse your books, you know, bookstores, peruse your game stores. You know, take a look at Drive-Through RPG. Look at what's out there, and at least understand the descriptions of those products before you contact a publisher. I, I think one problem that an awful lot of freelancers suffer with is that they don't really identify what kind of work they actually want to do. They feel that they want to get in the industry and they will go for whatever it is they think they can do without, as you said, reading the manual. Um, 
and I think one one very important thing is find out what, what exactly you want to, to do. What, what do you want to write? What do you want to illustrate? Where do you want to go within this industry? And then approach the companies that suit you. Uh, because then they, if they suit you, you are possibly going to suit them. But otherwise, no. And I think that approaching companies indiscriminately, that is beyond amateurish. That's spammy. And, and I, I don't take spam at all. I, I think it's important to also note that, um, one, the first year that you're working, the first year you become a freelancer in this industry, you're going to make almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to plan for that. If you're about to leave your job to become a freelancer, keep your job and do freelancing at night for a while Absolutely. Um, because the pay is so bad. Uh, two, never work for free. Never, Absolutely. ever, ever say, I will work for free just to get in your publication. One, what you produce isn't going to be any good if it's free. Two, you're not going to hit a deadline if you're working for free. I've had so many people offer to edit product for me for free, and I never hear from them again. Um so I just don't do it. I just, I, I can't even express that enough. And um, you, you just you just need to be aware of what your expectations are with the hobby or the industry, depending on what arm of this you, you're going to get into. You just need to manage your expectations and know that there are companies out there that have bad reputations, that pay late. Um, or that, not at all. Or not mm-hmm. at all. Um I had somebody today back out on p- paying me some money. Um, I posted about it on Facebook. Um, not, I didn't name names, and I'm not going to name names here, but it happened, and it happens sometimes. And you just, you know, you have to plan for that. You have to be aware of that, and you should always know who you're dealing with. Lloyd Brown wrote an excellent article about this online, talking about why he's never been screwed by a publisher, and it's because he only works with people he knows and trusts, and he's aware of where their position is in the industry. And this that was my fault, right? This time around, I just took work with somebody I've never dealt with before, and I really didn't examine what their line was before agreeing to help because it was a friend of a friend situation. Right. And so that's on that's on me. I, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. Um, I do disagree slightly with the idea of never work for free. When you are brand new and have absolutely no credit to your name, it can be difficult to land something to in order to not work for free. But I would say be very judicious in what kind of work you choose to do for free and limit the amount of that kind of work that you do. I, I've had people offer to write for me for free for Savage Insider, and I have told them no. Uh, yeah. I mean, pay much, but I will pay something. And you know, that that's as far as I feel about it. I if I had not done work for free, I would not have actually ever ended up with the paid work that I have had. I because I didn't have any other opportunities. I it's right. sort of the you know, it's what comes first, the chicken or the egg. You know, it's hard to get someone to take you seriously if you've never been published. And if you refuse to do anything except for if you're getting paid, it may be a very long time, if ever, before you get published. So I'd say that's a very personal decision. I would shy away from it. Today, I don't do free work. Um, But at first, that was the only way I could actually break into the industry because that was what was available. Technically, some of the work I did was not supposed to be free. so I would say be careful, as Jim said, with about how you handle things like contracts. 
when you've never read one you know before you've never had one before you may not realize some of the things that you should know like kill fees what happens if you uh, if you want to do some work whether it's an illustration or whether it's writing uh, or mechanics pieces and the publisher never does actually use your work you've done the work but if you have done the work based on a contract that says commission on sales and you aren't getting any sort of money aside of that commission on sales what happens to that work that you've done do you get any sort of kill fee for having produce the work, even though they have said, I'm never going to publish it or it's suspended indefinitely. So it, it's a tricky situation when it comes to pay. It would ideally do what Jim said, don't do free work. Yeah, don't. I, I, well, and I, and I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Paco. Sorry, I was gonna say, there are, from my point of view, there are only two situations where working for free is acceptable. One, if you're doing a friend a favor, and I mean a friend, not somebody that you want to work for and says, could you please do me a favor? No, I, I mean a friend. And it's something that you want to do because it's your friend. And I, I don't have a problem working for free for my friends because that's, they're my friends and that's, that's what they're there for. That's one thing. And the other thing that I have no problem working for free for is if whatever it is that's going to be produced is also free. So if, if it is a freebie that's going to be given away, by all means, you know, do whatever you want to do. Not not just what they tell you to do, but do what you want to do. Uh, and it's okay to do it for free because it's a free publication. It's a good way to do exposure. Um, and the thing is, you know what? If you want to get exposure these days before landing anything with anyone, open a blog and talk about it. And yeah. write for free for yourself. Right. That's it. it how... How hard is it to make up 20 feats for D20 on your website and release one a day and show your writing skill? Exactly. And right, and especially uh, the the guy that's heading up Earth Dawn right now is somebody that was just a fan from the community, right? He was uh, a guy that was the most vocal and uh, the most genuine online about his love for for Earth Dawn, and eventually he grew into that position because he showed his interest through the internet by you know, awesome. constantly posting new material and whatnot. There, so that is definitely an avenue that required him to, yes, work for free, but he was doing it out of passion, not out of desperation. Right. I, I think the, the reason I don't like free work is because it, it, it cheapens the hobby. Hmm. If you have, if you have 500 people out there all working for free, then publishers are going to, well, not, the smart publisher aren't going to do this, but mid-range and low-range publishers are going to commission that work for free, and they're going to put whatever crap into their document. And trust me, I've been writing for 20 years. I cannot read my stuff that I wrote 20 years ago. I was crap when I started. And you have to know that those first 10,000 words, those first 50,000, those first million words that you write are just you getting better to the point that you're actually publishable an hour, that you're good now. And when people are working for free, they're usually cranking out work in that first million range, right? And you're not getting A-level work and it cheapens what's going on. It cheapens you. It, it ruins your reputation. Um, I've hired people before that just weren't ready for prime time because I wanted to test them out. And sure enough, I ended up having to do a ton of editing to make them sound legible. 
So let's talk about that, about once you do land that assignment. This is, this is what I think of as RTFM part two. And that is to look at the instructions the publisher has given. I, a lot of times publishers will have style guides or they'll have submission guides online. Uh, sometimes they will send you back replies to whatever query you sent with instructions on what you need to do next. I, I can't stress enough how important it is to follow those instructions and preferably seek them out before you contact the publisher. Look online, see if you find any information about what things a, a publisher is looking for. You know, are they looking for a specific style of illustration? Are they looking for a specific mindset for mechanics? Are they looking for an experienced layout person or, the, or perhaps someone who can convert documents to EPUBs rather than simply going to PDF? Are they looking for editors, proofreaders, writers? And what kind of parameters are they putting on those roles? Many publishers have that kind of information on their websites or will, will reply to that information. But if you ignore it, it's extraordinarily frustrating. I'm, I'm thinking, I, I, I don't want to deviate too far from what Vicky's saying, but it, this does remind me of people that wanted to intern at places that I've been at and they're coming in there and they want to learn something and you're trying to teach them how you do things. Right, because every company's got a different workflow. Every company's got a yes. different way it, it approaches. Um, I've worked at a place where all the writing got done at the same time the art was getting done, so so that would cut down the production time. But what it meant was is that the art was probably not going to match the text a hundred percent the way writers like it to match, because something gets changed in the text or a concept goes awry or whatever, or the artist just doesn't understand. And by you've got the art now and it's done. And so I see I'm going off the on a tangent now. The ways that different companies work and operate, those flows are always different. And you have to be flexible as a freelancer to understand how people want things. I'm kind of old and set in my ways now. And so I just send, I'll do lots and lots of sketches and, um, and when I'm when I'm doing graphic work, for instance, I'll do lots lots of sketches and I'll show them what this is what it's going to look like generally, and then I'll send them updates over and over and over again because I don't want to do the work over again at the mm. end, right? Because the publisher doesn't know what they want, and so I can go back and say you approved this page. I, when I got to page 25, I showed you what it was going to look like. When I got right. to page 50, I showed you what it was going to look like. I'm at 300 now. You don't get to change something on page three because that's going to repaginate the, the book for me. So you need to know what your boundaries are. You need to know how they work. You need to you need to be aware of workflows. And I think, especially if you're becoming a writer in the industry, be aware of typographical marks, right? Because people like to use. I just gave this advice online today. People use X's instead of multiplication symbols for multiplication symbols. And a graphic designer down the line has to change that. Somebody has to fix that. A minus sign actually isn't a minus sign in type typographical circles. There's a special character for a minus sign. And these are all things that eventually have to get fixed. Be aware of whether or not they use double spaces after a period. Be aware of whether or not they yes. use an Oxford comma. Be aware of all of their grammatical and typographical requirements. And you know, if you're working in Word, don't go embedding everything 
getting in there and making somebody's life difficult later on. There, like I could, <laughs> yeah, because if, if you put something in a table in Word, you've just made my life more difficult when I go to do the graphics on the other end. Because now I have to un take everything out of that table and then add tabs that aren't there and fix it, especially I if I'm working in InDesign or Quark. And what's that? I second that. <laughs> yeah, I, there's just so many little things. I could go on and on and on about that kind of little bit of little advice. There's so many little things that you're going to learn through the process, and you know a lot of that can be done simply by interning somewhere for a little while and just seeing how somebody else works, knowing how all the other components interrelate to one another, is an invaluable skill for a freelancer. That to me, if an, if a freelancer could learn that, I'd be hiring them every day. And those kinds of things also lead into my fourth little nugget uh, that I was thinking of with this topic, and that is don't waste my time, also known as don't be lazy. Right. If a publisher tells you their process, like here's the style guide, and you know we do use Oxford comma, we do two spaces, not you know three or four or whatever, or just one. You know, if they're telling you these things, then you need to, to do what it is that they're telling you. Uh, if you are trying to become a, a, a freelancer with a RPG company and they tell you, you need to get on our newsletter, you need to watch for calls for submissions, they don't want you to say to them, here's, here's my link to my portfolio. You can see some of my writing samples. You can see some of my illustrations. Let me know when you have something. That's not what they're looking for. They may want you to give them a link so they can look to see if you're, you're someone that they think that they could use, but they definitely are not looking for uh, people that they can then seek out specifically and say, hey, Harry, we want you to do this. If they're telling you, watch for calls for submissions, if they're telling you, sign up for our newsletter that tells you when we're looking for people, that's what they want you to do. So please don't expect that if you introduce yourself to a publisher and they're telling you these avenues that you can be aware when they're looking for people to freelance and what kinds of freelance work that there will be, they're not, you know, please don't expect them to come seek you out individually. Publishers get many queries. And think of it in terms of today's job market. Today's job market, if you have a uh, mid-range professional job that is uh, in your area, and there are a lot of people who are qualified for that job, and your unemployment is really high, then one position is going to not yield just four or five people who are interested in it. They're going to get dozens, possibly hundreds. And it's the same thing for publishers. A lot of us are only mom and pop shops, one, two, three people working. There are big companies, but there aren't a lot of really big companies in the RPG industry who have you know, five or more full-time employees you know, most of the companies are small shops. So if we're fielding dozens of queries of, you know, check out my writing, check out my editing, check out my illustrations, it's truly unreasonable and unrealistic to expect that we're going to catalog all the people who have contacted us and randomly seek you out later. It's much easier for each individual publisher for freelancers to listen to what they've said that they want and come back to them. 
it may be frustrating and you may feel that, well, I don't want to spend all my time looking for calls for submissions, but these are freelance positions. These are not full-time jobs that you're waiting to get. So unfortunately, the nature of freelance is that while there may be some people who seek you out individually specifically, that particularly when you're getting started, that's just not likely to be the case. I think that there's different kinds. There's definitely different kinds of people, and when it comes to how they how they fit into a job, I am certainly one of those per- people that I know a lot of people, but I really only have a small circle of people that I want to work with, and that is probably because of how my primitive brain works. Right, I can only keep track of so many people, and so I know their talents and their and their strengths and so on. And so for me, when I put out a call for work. Um, it is because somebody in my circle is either too busy or they don't fit what I need. And I, the first person that contacts me, I just immediately give them some sort of task to see if they can do it. I don't want to talk to 50 people, right? I want to just talk to one, two, three, maybe five people, get them going just so I can test to see who's going to be suited for this project. And I know for me, it's just a matter of timing. Um, and but I think other companies have worked very differently. They'll probably sit on something, you know, wait for thirty applications, and then finally sit down and look at stuff. But I, I could be wrong, Vicky. You could probably tell well, me. I, I think you're right, though. That every that every publisher has a different way of doing things. I'm I'm sure that there are those that you know wait for thirty and then go back. Um, I I'm probably somewhere in between the process you described and and the wait for thirty and come back. Uh, for me, because most of what I look for freelancers to do is magazine work. I, I don't put out RPG products of my own as frequently as I do the magazine. You know, I'm looking for people to do all kinds of stuff in advance. So, you know, and I'm only going to work on one issue at a time. So if I've got pitches coming in for something that's two or three seasons later, I'll get back to them. But I'm not necessarily in a position to deal with them and decide, yes, definitely, I'm going to use this particular idea right this moment. I might need to deal with the issue I have coming up first and then do that. Um, So it, it all just really depends. But the key is look at each publisher and do get familiar with the products and settings and systems, get familiar with the instructions that they've given on their websites or responded to you in email, and truly don't waste their time. If a publisher tells you what the process is, they really need you to do that process, whatever that process is, I because they're, they're trying to help you. you know, they're trying to tell you, if you want to work with me, then this is what I need you to do. And I think that's something that, again, freelancers have to keep in mind. Your way of doing things might be the right way for you, but the way that your publisher, the person that's going to hire you, that's the one that really matters. And you need to be flexible and adapt to the companies that you want to work for. Because two companies, even if they are doing very similar products, they may be doing the same thing in different ways. And if you cannot be flexible, if you can't adapt to that way of working, you're out. And likewise, recognizing if, as soon as you can, if you feel that you know it's not going to work out, that maybe you accepted the assignment, but you, for whatever reason, you, it's just not going to work out for you, you know, letting the publisher know as soon as you get that inkling that this is just not going to, to work out, let them know. Hmm. You know, so they can go on and find somebody else. I mean, providing that you didn't sign a contract, you know, promising, uh, legally promising a specific work, you know. 
let them know. And frankly, even if you sign a contract, you can also let them know, I don't think this is working and see if you can, you know, see if they will let you out of it. Because nobody wants to be forced to work together if they aren't enjoying working together. Yeah, definitely. That brings up two really good points, Vicky. And one is if you if you can't get something done or you're having problems or whatever, you're not going to hit a deadline. Dodging somebody's calls or emails is the opposite of what you should be doing. Bad news is better than no news. Telling me you're going to be late is better than not responding at all. I could not give more important advice to a freelancer. Absolutely. too many people try to dodge. And the other is be aware of the contract. And I, I want to talk about the contract. If they're getting work, if you've finally gotten work and you've got a contract in front of you, you need to be aware of the terms in there. And a lot of it is boring legalese. I used to hand out a six-page contract when I was working at a specific company that I don't name. It was six pages, and it was filled with clause after clause after clause to just befuddle. I was not as efficient a contract as they could have come up with. There, there were so many better ways of doing it. But there are going to be clauses in there telling you about how arbitration works. Um, and if you have a problem or they have a problem, the contract is telling you exactly how it's going to get resolved. And I'm telling you right now, it's all in the publisher's favor because they've selected the arbitration method. And that arbitration method is probably going to find in their favor because they want to be used again. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Am I, so be aware of how all that works. So when you're having a problem and you're dealing directly with the, the your editor or whoever, your editor probably doesn't want to go after you legally for you not hitting your deadline. He's not interested in that. Um, and most publishers aren't going to come after you unless they absolutely have to, unless you've done something that's hurt their product line. But if you're communicating and you're telling them where you stand on the product, even if it's just a three-line email that says, hey, continuing to work, struggling, blah, blah, keep them in the loop. And that's going to avoid all those kind of hangups that might that might cause somebody to invoke a contract on you. It, and yes, we, I've had to invoke a contract on someone before. I, we actually had to send a, a letter saying we were going to sue. Now, and, and as we wrap up, uh, really the last couple of items that I would implore freelancers to do is when you read the contract, be sure you know exactly how you're going to get paid. Be sure that you know how much money you'll get paid. Make sure that if there's, if you are working for royalties, working for commission, make sure that it's spelled out what happens if your work doesn't get published. Does that revert to you or does the publisher get to keep it for free? Um, does Does it have some sort of end? If you're working for commission, are you getting commission so long as that product is being sold online or in print? I. If you're doing commission, are there costs that have to be satisfied before you actually get your pay? I, so if a publisher has a, a book that sold $3,000 worth of product, but it's commission after expenses and they have $5,000 worth of expenses, well, you know, even if you are going to get 50% commission, which it isn't likely, but if you were, 50% of zero is still zero. Mm-hmm. So even though they've sold $3,000 worth, if they have to make 5000 before they ever start paying you, then you need to be aware of what exactly is that commission based on. Uh, so being very, very aware of what you're doing in terms of getting paid. And also 
uh, what happens if uh, if they're not happy with your work? Is there any kind of revision? And who does that? You know, if they don't like what you wrote, are they going to hand it to somebody else and have them rewrite it? Or are they going to give you feedback so that you can have an opportunity to do a revision? So those are some of the things that, whether you're illustrating or writing, I would definitely recommend that you understand your contract and make sure it's in writing. What happens in the case of pay and what happens in the case of uh, maybe not actually being completely happy with what it is you turned in, not because you necessarily did a bad job, but just perhaps it missed the mark for whatever reason. Maybe the instructions weren't clear to you. Maybe you misunderstood something. There could, or perhaps the publisher changed directions in the middle of the project. You, you never know what might happen. Um, but do be, and do be aware of those two things. How do you get paid and what happens in terms of if the work is not accepted? Hmm. Yep, that's a, definitely a very good point indeed. Yeah, be aware of uh, if it's work for hire and if you'll ever own the material again. If you're working on somebody else's IP or setting, probably not. But if you're writing something generic, it's possible. Um, so you should be aware of that. Yeah, you should be aware of how much you're going to get paid and when you're going to get paid. And um, most publishers pu publish or pay um, after publication, which can take as long as a year depending on the book that you're on. So you need to be aware of that as a writer or an artist. Um, I pay on acceptance, which is rare for companies in the industry, but I pay so little and I pay, I don't pay that often that it's easy for me to pay on acceptance. No, um, I, I, think. I do pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And it, cause it just gets it out of my hair, right? That's just how I prefer to do it. Cause then I don't have to think about it. Um, but uh, if you've got a royalty system, Vicky's absolutely right. Be aware of how often they have to pay, what they're paying, and so on. I did work for a company in Portugal. Um, I, I got paid a lot of money. I've never been paid this much for working on a game. I got paid a lot of money from these people, and they never published it. And so all of my additional royalties I will never see, which is fine because they paid me so much up front. I don't really care. Um, but the, the back end um, – the, the back end money probably would have been nice had they actually gotten it out because it was tied to a cartoon. Yeah. And, but that also well illustrates the, the situation of had they not paid you up front any amount of money. And if you had been working only for the idea of royalties of commission, yeah. it, you know, you would have, you know, frankly, you would have been screwed. You'd done all the work yeah. and not. <laughs> not and I wouldn't have taken the job, right? Because I didn't know them beyond that, right? right. And they ha they were having to pay me monthly just to keep me working on tasks because I didn't have a relationship with them. And right. I, that's the thing too. You're going to find as you do this, you're going to build relationships with companies and specific editors, and you know you're you're going to know our directors as well. You're going to know who you can work with and what those parameters are going to be. It's it's a learning process. A, you're going to get screwed a couple of times while you figure it all out, I think. Hmm. Definitely. Well, I think that's actually a pretty decent amount of advice for one single episode. Me too. And I would like to ask our, v our viewers, I was going to say, yeah, because people can see so much in the podcast, uh, listeners, <laughs> to actually, what, what advice would you have to give to freelancers? What what have you done in the past? What, what was your experience as a freelance? I, I, know, um, I know of people 
um, my dear knight out there who have started has started a whole blog. I will put it in the in the show notes just about what it is like to be a freelance in in the industry, and it's very well worth reading because he talks an awful lot about which is something we haven't covered in this podcast. But he talks an awful lot about uh, keeping a balance between your family and your work, being able to to maintain your job if you can do it, so on and so forth. So it's worth considering that sort of thing and and read around. So tell us tell us what your experiences have been as freelance because I think that will be a fantastic thing to have. And remember, remember, listeners, that we still have our competition going on until the end of August, in which we want to know we want you to tell us your worst experiences around a table playing a role-playing game. And at the end of August, Vicky, Jim and myself will take a look at those entries and we are going to choose the worst and that worst is going to get a role-playing game that I will send and pay for with my hard-earned cash. And I also added a PDF to the pile. I will send you a quality PDF. There you go. I'm not shipping anything, though. I hate going to the post office. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Me too. But hey, um, I'm pretty sure I could throw in a PDF of some sort, too. There you go. You weren't even on that podcast. What are you it? doing? Holy. You see how if, high hey, if I'm going to have this, if I'm going to have to read a bunch of stuff to figure out the worst, then, you know, I might as well you know, participate, too. <laughs> that, that sounds like good money after bad, doesn't it? <laughs> So, but listeners, thank you very much indeed for being there as always. And do send us your comments at our email, which is podcast at gmsmagazine.com or get hold of me on Twitter, which is at gmsmagazine. And of course, Google Plus, same thing. Or get hold of me in Facebook, Paco Jaén, J-A-E-N. And say hi. It would be great to hear from you. You can reach me, Vicky Beaver, at Twitter, VA Beaver, or you can find me on Facebook at VA Beaver Writing. And since I talked about the magazine today, you can also find me at SavageInsider.com or the company page Obatron, O-B-A-T-R-O-N.com. Uh, I'm Jim Pinto. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and my own website. It's all post-world games. Um, and I also do consulting for companies, and I can certainly help newbie freelancers in any of these topics that we talked about. So if you want to contact me after the fact and ask questions that we didn't cover, I'd be happy to answer those sort of things so long as they're not 100 questions there you go so 99 is fine 100 no 99 is totally fine (laughs) (laughs) but there you go and till the next time listeners thank you once again and keep those dice rolling